Welcome to episode 160 of the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. Last Friday on October the 17th, the Canon PowerShot G10 high-end compact digital camera went on sale here in Japan and I went straight to the shop at which I'd placed my pre-order to pick up mine. I've had a lot of fun over the last few days just uh, having a small camera to drop into my bag for those times when it doesn't really make sense uh, to carry around a big digital SLR with a lens or two. Today I'm going to take a look at the camera itself and start to sort of relay some of my first impressions of this powerful little power shot. In the next episode we'll look at some images that I've shot with the G10 over the last few days. I'm going to be um, uploading a, a PDF file. Um, I'll, I'm not going to put the images in my online gallery as I usually do. And you know, basically because I'm, I'm still sort of playing with this thing and um, you know, uh, the, the images that I've shot so far either don't match my style or they don't match my quality expectations. Um, but that's really not down to the camera, it's, uh, it's more for my artistic vision for my normal photography. Um, but you know, it, it just means that I don't feel comfortable really adding these images to my online gallery as yet. Um, so I'm going to put together a PDF that I'll also release and that will be um, made available as episode 160.1.1 and you can get that from either iTunes uh, or from the podcast page at martinbaileyphotography.com and it uh, you know if you if you go and go and grab that now if you haven't already um, you know it's going to contain uh, a bunch of images of the G10 and then some examples shot uh, with it that we'll talk about in the next episode. I will put the um, the images into the enhanced podcast as well though so. You know, at least if you're out and about and you've got a, an iPod that will allow you to see the images, then you can at least see what we're talking about here as well. And, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to, uh, for the next episode when we do look at some more sort of example shots, I'm probably going to release a, like a zip file or something that will contain all of the full-sized images that we look at as well. So that you can sort of get them on your own computer and zoom up to 100% and take a look at the grain and stuff, because uh, you know although it's it's a lot better than it than it was in earlier models and uh, you know the for for the for a compact digital it's pretty impressive in many respects, but you know I I think it depends what you're expecting and what you want from the camera. So uh, I just thought that, you know as I'm I'm not too worried about the uh, the IP. Uh, the what is it intellectual property uh, side of things for these first few images so although I don't want them to go astray and get copied and things uh, it's you know I don't think that the, the value is there really either so I'm just going to zip the uh, the images up that we look at next week and put them into a, a forum post probably so that we can uh, we can all take a look at them at 100% if we want to as well so before we move on um, I wanted to quickly uh, break my rule of doing housework at the end of the podcast as I wanted to say first a huge thank you to all of you that voted for the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast in the 2008 Podcast Awards and you know well basically once again just to fill you in on this if you, don't, if you didn't already know 
Um, we've been nominated again, thanks to you. And today, October the 23rd, and this is 2008 for people that are picking up on the um, the archives later. And the, you know, basically we've been nominated and we're in there in the education section again. And the the um, the 23rd of October today marks the start of the voting for this year's awards. I also, of course, you know, I wanted to ask you um, if you enjoyed the show, please do go over to www.podcastawards.com right now and find this podcast under the education section and then click that little checkbox um, or radio button next to the uh, to the left of the, the podcast title then enter your name and email address at the bottom of the page and submit your vote please from today until the uh, the 6th of November you'll be able to vote every day and I, and I do um, wish that you know I hope that you can vote every day uh, so if you can set up a, an outlook alert or uh, whatever scheduling software you use to remind you to vote each day and also just uh, let anyone know that you you know um, is is interested in this podcast as well uh, that, that this is happening uh, especially those that you think might uh, be a little bit behind on listening to the episodes it would be great if we could uh, we could make a dent make a dent here so um, it, it, it's generally you know it generates a lot of publicity and I'm, I'm, I'm not really thinking that we can win but it'll be good to try so you know the the just try try to get over there and do your voting if you can and we'll try and drum up a few more listeners um, because you know the bigger the community gets and uh, you know the bigger the the more listeners we get the better the podcast becomes for all of us so let's let's uh, you know forget about that for now though um, and we'll move on and take a look at what the Canon PowerShot G10 has to offer us So the first thing that struck me about this little baby is the build quality. If you're able to um, either look at your iPod screen right now or open the PDF file and um, you know just take a look at the first image that's included in there. Um, by the way, the PDF um, is just a, it's like a, a slideshow output from Lightroom. Uh, so it it'll try to go to full screen and move you through the photos um, every five seconds uh, when you first open it. Um, if you if you want to move through the images yourself, just hit escape on your keyboard uh, to come out of the full screen mode, and then that should stop the slideshow as well, and you can just move backwards and forwards with your arrow arrow keys. Um, anyway, you know, back to the build quality. Um, it won't come across totally from just the photos. But this little thing is built amazingly well for a compact digital camera. Compact digitals can sometimes be a bit plasticky, but the the G10 made with an uh, I want to say aluminium, um, but I know that most of you guys in the states will be saying, "What's that? Is that aluminium?" Uh, but anyway, you know, it's <laughs> where where I come from in England, we say al- aluminium. Um, don't ask me why. Um, but basically, it's it's got you know it's metal, right? And although it's light, it's still metal, and it feels like um, almost feels like one of the magnesium alloy bodies that uh, some of its big brothers, uh, the digital SLRs, are made from. And you know this feeling of quality when you handle the G10 is further enhanced by the three knurled knobs that sit on top of the camera. 
And they're basically to enable you to adjust the exposure compensation with the knob on the left, uh, the ISO and the shooting modes. The paint of the body, um, also, you know, nice black sort of that dappled effect sort of paint that they use on, on SLRs. And then you've got that rubbery leather stuff on the grip um, that, you know, that's also common with the higher end cameras. And so basically it all just feels pretty nice in the hand. The first image that I included is the camera and it's turned off and you can see that the lens shield is now closed. And, you know, many moons ago I actually owned and still have a, a, a PowerShot G3 and you know, that was, I, I don't know, I think they missed out four. Uh, they, well, I think they went from five to from three to five. Um, could well be because the number four in Japan is, um, is it means, well, it's the same word as uh, death, so they try to avoid it here. Um, it could also be because of the Mac. There was an Apple Mac G4, I believe. So for whatever reason, I think they skipped four, and I, I, don't, I haven't really kept track of it for a while until the, um, the G8, I think it was, where Canon decided to remove the raw the ability to write images in RAW. And that, of course, caused an uproar because they're trying to sell it to um, people that are a little bit more serious about the photography and then crippling it by not enabling it to, to uh, record RAW was a bad move, turned out to be. So pretty quickly they released the G9, which um, put the RAW ability back. Um, and, you know, so I, I know I know a few of these numbers, um, or I think I do, but I... Um, you know, I'd really been sort of not looking so so much in between. But anyway, the um, the G3, to get back to this, had a, a plastic lens cap on a string that you had to remove. Um, and I tied mine to the strap so that I didn't lose it. Uh, but, um, you know, you had to either take it off or hit the button to turn the camera on and let the lens sort of protruding out from the body knock it off uh, every time you turned on the camera. And it was a real pain. And... Now, um, as you can see in the image, I love the way the lens cap, or like a shield, is simply integrated right into the camera now. And in the second image, uh, we can see the, what the lens looks like uh, once the camera's turned on. And I'm, I'm just going to, yeah, give it a like, I'm just going to do this. I just, I like doing this. That's what happens. That's the noise when you turn this on and off. And you can hear the shield uh, opening and closing. And, you know, basically, um, it's it's just so much better now. And you don't have to worry about this little plastic lens cap. It's there. I'm sure that this thing, you know, it's not quite as robust. I'm, you know, I reckon if you were to um, to press on this lens cap thing, it wouldn't do it any good. Uh, lens, oh, you know, the shield. But, you know, I just really like the fact that this is built in now. And um, you uh, you can also, you know, basically just turn it on. There's a button on top of the camera uh, that will turn the camera on, or you can um, t hit a button on the back, the the one that we're used to seeing, the little blue rectangle with the, uh, the blue arrow inside for viewing images. And when you hit that, you the camera just turns on the LCD without protruding the lens out the front. So you've got a, a few options of how to turn it on and get into the camera. Um, so anyway, you know, when I, I, you know, when I bought the camera a few, uh, well, last Friday, so it was, what, six days ago now, um, I decided also that I was just going to get a little sort of leather effect case that's been made available here in Japan. 
I don't know if the same case is going to be available in other countries. I didn't see it on the US website, um, but I did see a different uh, case. But this sort of, its I don't think it's leather. I think it says it on it somewhere. It doesn't smell like leather at all. Um, but it's like a leather effect sort of plasticky uh, case that I bought. And that's the case that we can see fitted to the camera here. Um, it's got press studs so that you can take uh, take it off and just leave the bottom part of the case on. And of course, it's, uh, it's screwing into the tripod um, screw thread, so you can just take it off really easily as well. And you have to do that to get the battery and the cards out or in and out. So, you know, it's good that it's a pretty quick release. Uh, but really, I wanted this because I wanted to be able to put something on there that I didn't have to worry too much about when I wasn't using it. Um, but also, this camera is going to go in my bag and go everywhere with me when I don't have the digital SLR with me. So I wanted a, a case that we could just sort of, you know, throw on, leave on, and uh, and pretty much forget about it. And it's kind of like a nostalgic sort of thing, you know. This this case reminds me of the case that my my friend's dad an, had on his camera uh, when I was like uh, 10, 11 years old when we were off on holidays together. And um, it was, you know, it's just a, a pretty nostalgic feel. And these knurled knobs and everything all add to that. Um, the let me see let me just i'm banging the mic with the camera here um so you know i mentioned earlier that the exposure uh, compensation knob is on the left um in the images that that we'll see there uh you know the, I'm, i said the left that's the left as you look at the back of the camera um from the back also at, on the right we have two knurled knobs that are kind of nested together the bottom one is the ISO adjustment and the one above that is to change the shooting modes. In the third image I took the camera out of the case so that you can see the rubbery leather effect grip. Uh, before we go on let's take a brief look at the the major specifications of the camera. Uh, Canon are aiming this at advanced amateur photographers. Um, that's, the, that's the marketing blurb anyway. Uh, for a little camera, they've packed in 14.7 megapixels with a 6.1 to 30.5 millimeter lens, which is uh, 35 in 35 millimeter terms. It's a nice, relatively wide 28 millimeters that zooms to the equivalent of 140 millimeters. So it's got a fair amount of reach. The G10 is fitted with Canon's new Digic 4 image process uh, image processor for improved face and motion detection. It also supports uh, accessories such as the Canon Speedlight flashes. There's a built-in optical image stabilizer system and um, a real sort of you know optical and zooming viewfinder. It's not like a rangefinder so much. It's it's uh, you know it's it actually zooms with you and um, you know, with my old G3, just going back to that for a moment, I, I used to use the viewfinder a lot, but that was because the LCD wasn't that good. Um, but, you know, I never really liked the cramped viewfinder. And also the lens uh, used to encroach in the view uh, in the viewfinder itself when you zoomed. In fact, just grab, grab mine again. Um, let me just see if this happens with the G3 because it used to annoy sorry with the G uh, yeah so I'm just zooming in now and you can't see the the lens um, through the viewfinder when you zoom you can actually see it a little bit you can see the uh, the outer ring of the uh, that it that sits around the lens 
on uh, when you're in wide angle mode this time. Um, but you know, basically, uh, with the G3, it used to as you zoomed out, you used to, be able to see the lens sort of poking into the view into into your range of view. Um, never really liked that. Uh, you can tell. I've just had to check for the first time whether that happens with the G10, and that's basically because you know now the LCD has uh, has become so much better with the G10. Um, so you know, I I've just found that I've used that instead of looking through the viewfinder, and um, you know, the, now that I'm used to the you know full frame uh, DSLRs for this past few years. I I really just don't don't want to look through this at this tiny, still relatively cramped viewfinder, even on the the G10, and even with the um, you know the the problem that the lens doesn't in, uh, you know with the lens sticking into the into the field of view not happen anymore. Still don't just don't feel like using it. The LCD's got so much better. Um, I did have a few sort of peeks through the viewfinder on the G10. Um, but it actually reminded me uh, almost instantly of looking through the little bionic eye on the the back, you know, little hole in the back of the head of my Steve Austin action man back in the 70s. And, and if you had one of these, you'll know exactly what I mean. Uh, it's just like a, a really sort of cramped feeling sort of, you know, so I'm, I'm not using it. Uh, luckily, though, you know, on the G10, there's a nice large three inch TFT color LCD. And it has 461,000 pixels, which is double that of the LCD on my 1DS. So it's actually very easy to see what you're looking at um, when you're, you're composing your scene through it. It takes a bit of getting used to. I'm not used to this. Um, I do all of the, the composition through the viewfinder on my 1DS and, and on all of the digital SLRs that I've used so far. Um, but, uh, you know, at least with the, with the, 10, uh, sorry, the G10, it's usable, it's a nice LCD, and I'm getting used to it. And it just is so much better, really, than using the little cramped bionic eye that, that they have on this thing. Um, anyway, where was I? Uh, I probably should just um, you know, qualify this by adding that um, by digital compact terms, uh, you know, this, this is still relatively nice. It's good that it even has an optical viewfinder. Uh, many of them don't these days. And so, you know, I, I think it's good that it's there if you really want it. Uh, but I, I think I'm going to just um, prefer to compose the shot with the view, with the, uh, the, the, sorry, um, with the LCD for now. And you know, like I say, it's it's, it's a, a much better alternative than Steve Austin's Bionic Eye. So the LCD has the 100% coverage too. So everything that you see on the screen is included in the shot. So framing's relatively easy. And uh, like I say, getting easier as I get more used to it. Despite the sp the smaller optics, the maximum aperture of the um, the aperture is f two point eight, uh, but that's at the wide end, and that gradually gets smaller as it reduces to four point five as you zoom to telephoto. Um, this again is good for a compact digital, but for someone that likes their bucket like I do, uh, you know, it does leave me feeling a little bit deflated. Uh, but that's how it is. That's the nature of these things. Um, I would say that it's as good as it gets for a compact digital. The shutter speed um, can be between 15 seconds, again, relatively good for a compact digital, and that goes up to a pretty fast 4,000th of a second, and that's in uh, shutter priority and manual mode, which is also pretty impressive there for a, a compact. 
The ISO settings range from auto, uh, up, then you've got high ISO auto, and then manually uh, settable ISOs of 80, 100, 200, 400, 800, and then 1600. And I've not really done any scientific tests uh, comparing lots of settings, uh, but there's uh, you know a few high ISO images in the PDF that we'll look at. Um, that's uh, you know we'll we'll actually get into talking about those next week, but they're in there for you to take a look at now. Um, you know we can see that Canon are doing better in this area. That they um, you know they're they're going to be fighting really hard to catch up with the the improvements that Nikon has made in this area in, in with the recent releases. Um, like I say, a few mod models ago, Canon removed the ability to record RAW images with the G in the G range. Um, obviously a mistake, it was reinstalled, uh, reinstated with the G9 and of course is still available in the G10. I would not have, um, have bought this camera if it didn't uh, you know, allow me to record images in the RAW format. One problem right now though is that the Adobe Camera RAW does not uh, yet support the G10. So I've been imprisoned in the Digital Photo Professional, the bundled software uh, for my rating and export of images. Uh, this is just so painful. I don't suggest anyone make this uh, your only method of post-processing your files. Um, I really can't wait for Lightroom and Adobe Camera Raw to support the G10 format. Uh, hopefully it won't be many months before it does. Uh, hopefully not many weeks, but um, you know the, we'll, have to, we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Um, by the way, before I go on, I didn't change any of the settings, the color settings and things. All of the images that you see... Um, in the PDF after the ones, you know, obviously the ones of the G10 itself were shot with my 1DS. Um, but all of the ones shot with the G10, um, I haven't done any of my uh, my usual stuff. It's basically just uh, shooting in RAW and then expect, uh, exporting a, pit, a PIF, <laughs> exporting a TIFF file uh, from DPP. And, you know, that's pretty much what you see. The other main major bonus of this camera is that it um, it supports not only program and aperture priority and shutter speed modes, it has full manual. And you know that's in, in addition to a couple of other custom modes and then a, just a plethora of scene modes including portrait, landscape, night scene, sports, foliage, snow, beach, sunset, fireworks, aquarium, uh, underwater, indoor, kids and pets, night snapshot, color accent, color swap, switch assist, and movie modes. Also, there's an ISO 3200 mo uh, mode, which I gave a quick try, but to be honest, it's a total waste of time, and I really just can't understand why Canon added this feature. Well, actually, you know, I can understand, and although this is just my um, layman's speculation, uh, I'd imagine that they're simply trying to put something out there uh, on the in the market so that they can say... Uh, that it's got this high ISO, uh, making people think that they're closing the gap on the latest range of low high, uh, low noise, high ISO Nikon cameras. Uh, here's the problem, though. When you select ISO 3200 scene mode, you're not only thrown into JPEG mode. Uh, the image size is restricted to 1600 by 1200 pixels, which equates to um, of some, pretty much the same sort of size. It's 1.9 megapixels. And most uh, phones have better cameras than that these days. Now, sure, there's low noise, um, but the the other big problem is uh, it it just doesn't even have very good image quality. It's blurry. Uh, you know, 
I, I just I just can't really see the point of it. Um, you'd be better off shooting at sixteen hundred and then running some um, you know something like noise ninja on the on the image. You'd end up with a much better image, and it would be a, a full fourteen point whatever uh, megapixel file, and not a two, uh, not even two, one point nine megapixels. So uh, you know, poor image quality, it's blurry, messy. Um, I really just wish Canon had left this out altogether. This is probably my only real gripe about the camera, though. If you're used to um, three to five frames per second uh, faster shooting with a DSLR. You might be a little bit disappointed with the continuous shooting speeds, which range from 1.3 FPS to 0.7 FPS for different various modes. Um, but then, you know, we have to compare apples to apples here. And for what it is, I think it's fine. And I, I didn't even find myself shooting in continuous mode at all, though I will probably use this at some time, uh, just very slowly. Um, the rechargeable lithium-ion, or eon, whatever you say, battery, it's the MB-7L. This will apparently give you 400 shots with uh, when you use the, S the L LCD display. Uh, and it, goes, it gives you apparently up to 1,000 shots from the, uh, when you're using just the viewfinder. Um, like I say, can't see myself ever doing that, but you know, that's, that's what Canon says that we'll get. I would imagine that that's um, a, a conservative estimate and you'll probably get a lot more. I've I've had the, the battery in all week and I've been playing around with it and it's still fully charged. I think I've shot over 100 shots uh, and done a lot of messing about with the, uh, the menus as well. Uh, finally, for thoroughness, I'll just add that although this is definitely a compact digital camera, it's not quite as small as some compacts. Um, it's 4.3 inches wide, 3 inches tall and 1.8 inches deep. Um, and for in metric, that's uh, 11 centimeters wide, 7.7 centimeters tall, and three sorry, 4.5 centimeters deep. And it weighs 12.3 uh, ounces or 350 grams uh, without the strap and the case and what have you. The next image uh, that I included in the PDF is um, shows the LCD when you've taken a shot with the uh, the shooting information. You know, when you're viewing the image, an image that you've shot. And I've I've got the shooting information and the histogram diagram uh, histogram up there to change the you know the, how you see change how things are displayed on the back. You just hit the display button uh, button. It's the second button from the left on the 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 bottom uh, right of the core of the camera. And basically, you know, there's lots of different modes to you cycle that you cycle through. Lots of different ways that you can see uh, you know the back. You can just view the whole image. Uh, you know, a bit of information, more information, and then you can zoom through. And also, when you you know you use the the zoom on the the front, the top front um, of the camera, and you can basically zoom in on the images or zoom out. Uh, you know, jump around. Relatively good, and it's pretty intuitive um, in this area. There's uh, lots of inform in useful information in this. Uh, the, the, you know, the, one, the screen that we're looking at now, um, alongside the. Uh, you know the histogram, the lots of information that we used to see in on the back of a of a DSLR as well. Um, I do miss the RGB histogram a little, um, but I, you know I'm a, I'm a sucker for these little cosmetic niceties though. So when I first um, turned on the the dial on the back, of, you know, turned the dial on the back of the camera uh, to change the aperture, 
I instantly fell in love with the little lens uh, window-like thing that we, we see. There's an indicator that comes up, and it basically it's displayed on the LCD there, and you can you can you know like I say, it looks like when the 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 old um, windows on top of lenses where it shows your aperture, and uh, you know basically this is really cool, and uh, we can see that in the next image that I included. So the scale appears, and as you uh, as you turn the dial um, on the you know that one the control on the back of the camera. The aperture values move to the left and the right with the carrot centered, and uh, you know it's just, it's just really nice. Uh, there's a similar display when you change the ISO and exposure compensation, um, you know, via those knurled knobs on the top of the camera. And I'll include an, a, an image of the ISO being changed as well. Like I say, um, nested above the ISO dial is uh, the mode change dial, and that uh, you know th there's a, another pretty cool way that this this uh, shows up on the LCD so when you're changing the the mode um, the you get like an, a little indicator that sort of grows out of the top right hand corner to about uh, fill maybe the top right third of the LCD and it shows you the mode you're in and then it's it flicks through them as you as you rotate the null knob and then it disappears sort of shrinks back down um, and then disappears out of the top right um, but uh, I, I used a slightly long shutter speed to capture this and so uh, if you look at the image uh, either in the PDF or on your or on your iPod right now you'll be able to see that uh, there's like traces of the animation in its various stages so always wanting to share a, a little technical tip with you um, I wanted to briefly share one thing that I learned here while, while shooting these uh, images and basically that is, you know, I was shooting, um, I'd got a background set up, this, this um, grey background, and I'd got, uh, I'd got umbrellas and speed lights set up, uh, basically because it was getting dark while I was shooting these and there wasn't going to be enough uh, natural light or ambient light for me to shoot the, the images. And, uh, and so basically, you know, I was using these speed lights, and if you use a fast shutter speed, there's not enough time for the LCD to register. Uh, if you turn off the speed lights and try to expose for the LCD, that looks really nice. Um, but then the camera's too dark, and you can only see the LCD. And what I did, I I shot both, and I was going to just superimpose them. Take you know, shoot one for the um, for the camera, and then shoot another with the LCD, and then just cut out the LCD and stick it on the back of the camera. Um, but um, I. When I decided to give it a try, and what I did was I um, I just extended the uh, the exposure to one second, and thinking you know that, that would probably give me enough time to get the uh, you know to to expose the camera, um, sorry the LCD uh, while it was eliminated, but then I also popped in the flash, and that was obviously going to um, you know to eliminate the camera itself uh, as, as much as I needed. And what that gave me was these series of shots, which basically they're, they're nicely lit, um, but you have a slightly faded, but you know, not bad at all LCD that you can see there. And like I say, that was what allowed me to sort of capture that, um, that animation as the M sort of shrinks back into the top right as I change the mode in the, uh, in the last, or the, you know, the image that we currently got up. Um, so... That's that's about it for today. We've we're coming up to just gone over 30, 30 minutes. Um, 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to wrap it up there and we'll go into more detail about the controls uh, of the camera as you know as we get into the exam example images. So you know that's that's not all of the technical stuff done, but um, you know would be would have been a very long podcast if I'd have tried to do this all all in one go. So we'll leave it off there for today and um, we'll continue to talk about a few of the few of the other features. And uh, next week, while we look at some example images from my first few days out shooting with this uh, this you know great little uh, power shot camera. So that's it for today. One last quick reminder to please vote for the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast at the uh, podcastawards.com website every day until November 6th. Uh, we, you know, we, like I say, we might not win, but it sure would be nice. Uh, so let's, uh, let's give it a bash and, you know, if you can help out as much as you can, I'd really appreciate it. So with that, let's, uh, I'll sign off for today and we'll catch up with you again next week. You have a great week, whatever you do. Bye-bye. photocastnetwork.com your photography resource in the potosphere photocastnetwork.com